0: Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our Sermon Cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Good morning. If you haven't seen it already in the bulletin, we'll be in Matthew chapter 13 today. And uh, we are going to be over the next few weeks looking at the letters written in red in our Bibles. Uh, we're going to be letting Jesus teach us on some very important concepts that were so important that he used something called a parable to explain it. And so uh, we're looking today at something that I believe that the church is woefully not cognizant of, or maybe don't think about it a whole lot, or, or maybe you do, but Jesus is teaching about a concept called the kingdom of God. Now, we we have heard that, and we know that the kingdom of God is for lack of a better term, God's kingdom. But that's not only God's kingdom that is to come, which is heaven, but it's also God's kingdom right here because God is in control, right? God is the king of kings. Amen? All right, just checking. Lord of lords. He's all of those things. And so the kingdom of God doesn't start when we die. The kingdom of God is here among us so as we look at Matthew chapter 13, if you look in your Bibles and glance back in Matthew 12, you're going to see that only a few passages ago that Jesus was teaching his disciples about a critical concept. He was teaching them on who was included in the kingdom of God. Now, when we hear the term kingdom of God, it can sound a bit imitate, uh, intimidating, but maybe it will help you think of it this way. Even today, there are people groups and nations that have monarchs. They have kings. And if they have a king, all that is within their realm of influence and rule is called a what? Kingdom. There you go. So the thing is, is that as we look at this, every king or queen has their castle, right? Well... Each of us have our own place to call our own. I am the king of my home. I do not ask Donna to call me that. Donna is the queen of our home. And I will do whatever she wants me to do. But no, it's seriously, when, when you go to our, our house, I am the king of that house. I, that's my kingdom, and I believe that God blessed me with it. And without getting into a whole nother sermon, God's given me the responsibility to not only rule, but to shepherd that home. And that includes my beautiful wife and everything that we have that is a part of that. I will be held accountable for that. And so it doesn't matter whether I come home and I've had a good day or a bad day. That is my kingdom. And I don't, i all joking aside, I don't rule that title over my wife. But every family has a leader, because if you have two people trying to lead, what do you call something with two heads? You call it a freak. Every there is always somebody in the house is leading it. It is just my prayer that when it comes to our kingdom. We are following God and what he wants for us. So there are rules and laws to protect us from our kingdoms, right? I mean, There are we if there are people breaking the law, we call the police. I mean, we have laws that are enforced people, hopefully to protect our kingdoms. So when we think of the kingdom of God, we can understand it this way. God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. God created everything. God created everything. God owns everything, including everything that we have. I said it before. I'll say it again. I've done a bunch of funerals. I've never seen a U-Haul attached to a hearse. I've never seen one making its way up to the sky. And I don't think that we're going to take anything with us that we have accumulated with our money, our work, and our sweat. The only thing that we will take to heaven with us is those things that we did for the Lord. While we are living, we can choose to experience God's earthly kingdom here. And after we die or Jesus returns, whichever comes first... We will either experience God's heavenly kingdom or a place of punishment called hell, depending on the choices that we make today. So now that we have set the backdrop for this, let's look at the purpose of this parallel, a parable. The disciples were embarking on a journey that would then change the entire trajectory of their lives. This man called Jesus called them to follow him. He told them that he was going to be a king and that he was going to have a kingdom. And probably up until after his resurrection, many of them thought that it was going to be an earthly kingdom, earthly power, and they were jumping on the bandwagon before it got big. <clears throat> but these guys, they were fishermen, they were tax collectors, and they were common men. But they gave their lives to God's kingdom, and Jesus knew that the disciples were not getting the full picture. In the full scope of what they were getting into. So, this passage is Jesus trying to give them a little instruction on what's actually happening. And so, in this parable, we see the parable of the soils. You see, still as followers of Jesus, many of us struggle to fight the temptation of following Jesus just for what he can do for us. Maybe Jesus will keep us healthy. Maybe Jesus will keep us wealthy. Maybe Jesus will give us a bunch of good friends. Maybe Jesus will give us an easy life. Jesus doesn't promise those things. Jesus does promise us a crown when we die and we go to heaven. But he also promises a cross to bear while we live here. And a matter of fact, that cross that we bear is a cross that we bear daily. And so he's trying to get this into the heads of the disciples. And so as the cross gets closer... With each passing minute for Jesus, Jesus wanted to prepare them for the type of kingdom that they would experience. So as we look at Matthew chapter 13, we see in, in verse 3 it says, He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Folks, Jesus used a teaching tool called parables to communicate the spiritual truths in a way that those could Understand. We call it in today, we call it an illustration or a simile or a metaphor. If you want to understand this concept, let me show you a different concept. But the word parable means to cast alongside, to cast alongside. So Jesus is telling a story based on concepts that the hearer can understand when he's talking about soils, primarily in that region you know, the Roman Empire, most of the people he, were, he was talking to and teaching were farmers. That's why he is using those things that are around them to help them figure out what he's trying to say. And so we see that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So in the number of parables that Jesus has in the scripture... I mean, some people could say there's anywhere from 27 to 50 of them, depending on how you look at them. Other people consider them maybe metaphors or comparisons, but most scholars agree that there are about 30 parables that are found within scriptures. So we must proceed with caution. When you read a parable of Jesus, you must not be tempted to read everything into that parable. You must be careful not to put your impressions on what that's trying to say the difference is we need to understand what jesus is trying to teach us in this situation so let's jump into the parable of the sower it says in verse three he told many stories in the form of parables such as this one listen a farmer went out to plant some seeds as he scattered them across the field some seeds fell on a footpath And the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. So we see here, first and foremost, the seed in this parable is God's word. We are to scatter or or sow or, or bring out the word of God, not only for our lives, but we are here to share the gospel. The seed is the word, and if anything is going to grow, it must have life in it, and God's word is What has life in it? Hebrews 4.12, let me show this to you. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. This book here is not an old history book. This is not just what your Bible study teacher taught you a few minutes ago or what somebody taught you when you were vacation Bible school. This word is unchanging. It has no errors in it, but it is always on time. It is always relevant and it can meet you right where you are, no matter where you are. It is alive and powerful and it is sharper than any two edged sword. You know why it's two edged? Not only can you use it to defend yourself, but it also cuts the bad things out of your life that need to be gone. It's a two edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and exposing the innermost thoughts and desires. So my question to you is, is if we are to sow the word of God, and if we are to have it sown into our lives, my question is, what words are you planting into your minds? What words are you allowing into your lives? Because the words that you dwell on will be what your life produces. What words, what stories, what jokes, what gossip, what images are you sowing into your life? Because if all of your words and all of your experiences are all about yourself, then you are sowing a self-centered life and you will live the life of a self-centered person. And that is a sinful person. So what words are you planting not only into your life, but those you influence? Your children. Your grandchildren, your church folks, your knitting circles, your beauty shops, your works, all of these different things that you've got. What words are you sewing? If there was ever, ever, excuse me, <coughs> if there was ever a more important time to infuse the Word of God into the lives of our children, it is today. And it doesn't start in Sunday school or children's church, it starts in the home. Let me tell you what I mean. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6-7 says, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. <coughs> sowing, this, sowing the Word of God into the lives of your life and others. It takes effort. Let's be honest here for a minute. When we talk about the Word of God and getting it into our children's lives and the predicament our world is in, 98% of the people say, well, you know what, preacher? When they took prayer out of schools, that's when our problems started. You heard that? Let me tell you something different. The truth is, when homes took the Bible, out of their homes, then it was taken out of the school. That's where it started. And our homes, our families, need an infusion of the Word of God. Look, there is nothing more precious than seeing nursery workers and children's workers and vacation Bible school workers and, and teachers and educators teach children the Bible. But they are not the foremost authorities and the foremost influencers to these children. It is what they see at home. Just like when you hear a child say a word that you wouldn't dare repeat in church. Where do you think he heard it? You know, these children start acting like what they see. It's not always, you know, there are issues. Everybody has issues. But what I'm trying to say is, is that we need to sow the Word of God into our children. As a pastor and as our church, we are going to do whatever we can to come alongside of you and to encourage you and to help you. Not only when they are young, but when they, when they grow older. But the thing is, is that we're here to help you. But this is your job and we're encouraging you to do this. Because sitting children in front of an iPad or a phone or a TV to watch their favorite cartoon or show that keeps them occupied and quiet for a few minutes, that doesn't bring them life. That brings them entertainment. Only the Word of God brings life. So we are called to sow and plant the Word of God into those places that God puts us in. So to do that, we must sow it into our lives first. So basically God's word must be planted, cultivated, worked, and permitted to bear fruit. We moved into our house probably, we've been there, what Donna, six years? Something like that. A while. Now when we got there, I don't know if you've ever, we, we found the house uh before it had gotten totally finished. And so, they built the house, and, and what they did is, of course, they didn't, they didn't start by laying down sod. They took a tractor, and they tilled up all the dirt, all the yard in the front and in the back, and then they threw some seed down, put some straw over it, and then said, Thank you. Have a nice day. And then not soon after that, we had a little puppy. And so puppies have to use the restroom. I mean, that's not a foreign concept to you, right? And so we became pretty good and pretty vigilant at making sure you wipe the paws of the puppy before they come in. Because it's not, and sometimes I missed it. And also, you know, I'd get that, there are paw prints all over the carpet. And bless her bless her heart, Donna would help clean it up, and I would help her sometimes too. But now it's gotten to the point Six years later, we still have bare spots in our yard. And I am putting pre-treatment down. I am putting all of these different things down. But there are just some places in that yard that grass will not grow. But the dog is so cute. He goes out and he comes back in. We say, okay, check your paws. And he just does his feet like this. And don't get me wrong, there are places in the yard that it has come in and it looks very beautiful and lush, especially where the puppy uses the restroom. But that's because that's where it's being fertilized. But there are some places in the yard that are just bare. Why is that? The soil is gone. There is no topsoil. There is just that hard clay. And it doesn't matter how hard I try to get something to grow there. The soil will not let it grow. Folks, for your life and my life, it is utterly important that you and your life and where you're at, you make sure that your life has soil that is willing to grow. And so now we... We see that everyone must take inventory of their lives and determine what kind of soil does your life represent. Also, we are motivated to share the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others, regardless of the conditions of their soil. God did not call us to be soil inspectors. He called us to be soil or seed sowers, right? Well, the good thing is, is we don't have to wonder what Jesus was trying to say. (coughs) <coughs> Excuse me. We see in Matthew 13, verses 18 through 23, what he was trying to get across. Verse 18, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems and are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of his life and the lure of wealth and no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word, and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as been planted. Let's take a moment and look at those four soils. Number one, we see the footpath. There is no topsoil, and there is heavy foot traffic, and the path is worn. Why is the path worn? Because everybody is walking down it. I don't know if you've ever been hiking like up in Table Rock or trails or something like that, they're marked, and, and most of the time, unless it is one of those real difficult trails, most of the paths, you can, you can see dirt in the path all along, because that's where everybody walks. But the thing is, is that this type of soil is that soil that the footpath, everybody's doing it. The Bible calls it the wide road. That everybody, you know, you don't have to have convictions. You don't have to believe in the Bible. You don't have to believe in Jesus. You just do what you want to do. That soil is not gonna, I mean, that seed is not going to go anywhere because there is no soil for it to grow on. These are people that hear the gospel, but they just simply don't understand it. And their desire for sin and to live for themselves is greater than their desire to get forgiveness. And to look for God. And notice we see here, who came along and stole the seed from the footpath? Go back and look in your scripture. The evil one. Here's a wake up, folks, whether you're five or fifty or a hundred and five. There is an adversary, the evil one called the devil, and he wants to take you down. And there are even times where you are trying to witness to other people that the devil will try to work. How many times have we seen it where a preacher is is closing in the invitation and they are really drawing the net and all of a sudden three people have to get up and use the restroom? There is spiritual warfare when it comes to sowing the gospel. There is is an evil one that does not want you to hear and does not want you to share the life-giving gospel that he has for you. Yes, you may cast the seeds and some of it, May fall on the footpath where there's no soil, but also some of it may fall on rocky soil. So this is someone who makes a commitment to follow Christ, but have no intentions on keeping it. Maybe it's that, you know, that guy and that girl are dating and the girl has convictions and is a Christian and the boy says, you want me to be a Christian? Absolutely, I'll be a Christian. Or maybe it's on the other foot. Maybe the guy's a Christian. The girl says, you want me to be a Christian? I'll be a Christian. They have no intention on being one. They just want to make that other person quiet and not talk about it. There are no roots to take hold of for them to get nourished. I think of in my youth ministry days, there used to be, we used to take like trips and and retreats to different places. And you'd start on Monday and you would come home on Friday. And you know what we had? Those Thursday night services. Throw a stick in the fire. Kumbaya, my Lord. Let's make a commitment. One person stands up and they decide they want to live for Jesus. And then their friend stands up and their friend stands up and their friend stands up. And then there's that one person that confesses and says, You know, I was really, I had a problem with so and so at this camp this week, but I don't want to name their names. But God has really worked in that. And so, Susie, I'm sorry. And then everybody starts crying. Then there's the one guy, that he's the middle school boy. He realizes everybody's hugging. This is his time to get up and hug everybody too. And please hear me here. You're going to think I'm being cynical. You're going to think I'm being sarcastic. You may think that I'm being... Sacrilegious by saying that. But most of all, I'm convicted. And I'm ashamed. We don't need to create emotional manipulations to get people to to make a decision for Jesus. Because most of those decisions fell on rocky soil for kids that had no intention on living it out. And about the time their feet hit the parking lot when they got home. They were already thinking about what they were going to do next. Or I think about that person that said, you know what, preacher? I remember praying with the preacher. I remember walking down front during VBS. I don't remember much about what I did. And and these people, whether it be a youth or whether it be a kid or whether it be adult, they've had some type of emotional decision. But there is no life change. There is no conviction of sin. There is no living for God. And those are the hardest people to reach. Because they think because they have done some type of service that they are saved. My friends, if you are saved, there will be life change. If you are saved, there will be a desire to live like someone who is saved. But there are some of you in here that will say... Well, preacher, I've been a Christian as long as I can remember. That's fine. (laughs) That's great. There's just as much power in what God has kept you from than what God has delivered you from. But my thing is, is that if you love Jesus, you're going to be growing. But day after day after day, I've seen it in youth ministry and I've seen churches that they will say, if you want to be saved, I remember there was this one evangelistic group m- many years ago, back in the 80s, that was very popular. And they can, they could, they could break four bats with, with one person. They could bend metal. They could, they could do all these different things. And they, the invitation would be this. Who in here wants to be a champion for Christ? All the kids would raise their hand and they would count that as a thousand decisions for Christ. Be careful that your life is not rocky soil, is all I'm saying. Then there's the thorny soil. There will always be things or idols that compete for the altar of your heart. Some people hear God's word and they start to grow and bear fruit. But as soon as they start doing that, become worried about daily living. They may think if they only had more money or more things or more time. And so all of a sudden... We've prayed to receive Christ, but then all these other things start coming to our life. And before you know it, you miss one Sunday at church. And when you miss one Sunday at church, you miss another Sunday at church. And then it's easier to miss the next one. It's just like going to the gym. You miss one day, it's a lot easier to miss the second day. Now, church attendance is not a a measurement on our spiritual walk. We're not here. I don't have an attendance checklist for you to check off before you leave. We're not going to give out any attendance pins. But I'm telling you what, if someone is a follower of Jesus, they're going to want to be where He is and they're going to want to be with His people. So be careful. Don't let things try to choke out what God is trying to sow in your life. Proverbs 24 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Folks, you need to guard your heart. My heart aches for those who once walked closely with God, but has slowly drifted away. I don't know, some of you might have that friend that you know, you remember years ago, y'all were close, and they were close with the Lord, but now you see him, and they're struggling. Maybe God's calling you to reach out to him and just check on him. Maybe do a little cultivation of their soil. Encourage them and ask them how they're doing. But do not let the thorns of life choke out what God has for you today, for your family, for your church, for your community, and for your world. Then finally, we see the good soil. The good soil is fertile soil that provides the right nutrients and conditions for what the seeds need to grow. These are healthy Christians. And I'll just put it this way. Healthy Christians grow. I've said this before, I'll say it again. There are some people that think, well, I haven't really grown, but I haven't backslid. I'm 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 about where I was. Let me ask you something. Can any of us stop the aging process? People try. I mean, there are more things that you can put in your body, on your body, and around your body than that's a multi-million dollar industry to make you look younger. It's like we're trying to find the fountain of youth. But is there anything you can do to stop the aging process? Nope. Second by second, we're getting older. And my friend, when it comes to our spiritual walk, second by second, we are either growing or we are declining In our walk with God. There is no floating or coasting when it comes to the Lord. My friend, if you are in the same place with God that you were a year ago, you need to get on your knees. If you are at the same place you are as an adult that you were with Him as a young adult, you need to ask God, why? We have to grow in our faith. How do you grow? Trusting God, praying to God, reading His Word, and sowing His Word. That is how we have fertile soil. Because good soil are believers that produce fruit. I don't know about you, but how many of y'all like to, to do a garden? Any gardeners here? Yeah. I've told you before I have a black thumb. I'm not good at that. But some of you are very good at that, but I know this if you've got plants that are not producing fruit, are not producing the things that you that are said to be in that package that they're supposed to produce, and they're never going to produce, you're going to get rid of it. and maybe start over as a believer, you are to produce fruit. And what is fruit? You can look at Galatians. Five, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. That's what we're supposed to have in our lives. So God's kingdom. God's kingdom begins with His Word. God's kingdom begins with His message. And there are four types of soils that categorize your response and my response to it. I don't know where you have found yourself in this, but let me promise you that if you want to experience the kingdom of God here in this life and in the next, it begins by staying in his word. Are you on a footpath that has no soil that's able to receive what God wants to give you? Are you a rocky soil that gives lip service to God has no intention on following him maybe you're a thorny soil that allows the cares of this life to choke out what god wants to do in your life or maybe you are a good soil willing to grow and share the gospel with others in a way that you live in the words that you say let's pray god i thank you so much for your word lord i thank you for your son that gave us these teachings Lord, uh, we are here today and, and a majority of people in this congregation this morning have given verbal testimony to being a believer and their lives have produced the fruit. Maybe this message was for them to grow closer to you, to get into your word more or, or to encourage them or challenge them. Or maybe it's just for them to understand that when they cast the seed. The Lord, it may land on different soils. I know this, that the kingdom of God is here. And for us to experience it and to understand it, it means staying in your word. So, dear Heavenly Father, the invitation is this today. The dear Heavenly Father, if there's somebody who wants to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, they say, look, I, I'm struggling with some of this. And I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm a Christian. And they want to make it known today. May they come forward. I will pray with them and we will get started on their journey with you. Maybe they want to join this church. Maybe they just want to come to the altar and pray or rededicate their life. However you move, Lord, may you work in this time of invitation. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?